Jonah. We started a series through Jonah last week. Uh, we only got three verses in. Um, we're going to continue on from there. We're going to spend the next four weeks in Jonah, discovering what God reveals about himself in that passage. Jonah is about two pages thick. <laughs> it comes uh, near the end of the Old Testament, um, after Obadiah, after Amos, um, Hosea, other books like that. Jonah chapter 1, we're going to be reading from verse 4 through to verse 16. And my apologies for the heating as well. We're, we've been assured that it was going to be working. Uh, it's not. Hopefully it will be by next week. Jonah, one, chapter, uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. Or maybe I'll read from verse 1, actually. That might be better. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Get up, call out to your God. Perhaps that the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where have you come from? What is your country? And what people are, of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? But the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this temp great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And we're going to leave it there. Let's just pray as we begin. We're going to pray for ourselves, and we're also going to pray for the kids. Lord God, thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us, that you tell us who you are, that you show us who you are, and through your spirit you, you help us to understand you and love you. We pray for our kids now, those precious children that you have given into our care, who you love and who you care for. We pray that you would reveal yourself to them now. Pray for their leaders as they attempt to show the beauty of the good news of Jesus. We ask that you might show yourself to those children. And we pray the same for us now. Lord, we want to know who you are. We want to understand you and desire you. And we pray that you would help us to do that. Send your spirit amongst us. Give us understanding. Give us love and affection for our God and our King Jesus. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever battled with God. Have you ever battled with God? Have you ever run from Him in in one way or another? Uh, Maybe not physically, you haven't tried to run out the door and get away from Him, but have you forged on a different path than you knew He wanted you to take? Have you ever done that? When I was a kid um, at church camp, I've, I've been in churches for many, many years, we went to a church camp and my old uh, primary school teacher was asked to come and speak as a missionary. And it st- really struck me what she said. She said the whole time she was my teacher, for the many, many years that she was a teacher, uh, she was asking God to do whatever he wanted with her, but not for her to be a missionary. She said, do anything you want with me, I'll do anything at all, I'll go anywhere you want, as long as it's not a missionary. That's the one thing I don't want to do. It's the one thing I don't want you to ask me to do. Um, Amusingly, she was there speaking as a missionary. God had caught up with her. Uh, She'd been in Indonesia for some time and I, I think she's actually still there. God doesn't let people go from the call He places on their lives. Uh, So far in Jonah, uh, we've seen Jonah try to run from the call of God, uh, physically trying to flee from God's presence to the open sea. He's gambled that if he runs away from the place where God most often speaks, if he's far away from the worshipping people of God, uh, the temple of God, the land where God is present, then maybe God just might give up and he might choose to speak to a more cooperative prophet, somebody who's there at home. And God doesn't. Jonah runs and this week we see God's response to Jonah's flight from him. Have a look at God's Uh, reaction. Uh, Jonah has taken a ship to the open sea, the place far away from the land. He's gone to the open sea. 
He's gone down out of everybody's way into the ship that he's paid a fare on, into the depths of the ship, and he's gone down there for a sleep. And while he's there, God hurls, I love this word, God hurls a a storm down on the sea. And the place where Jonah has run to, the sea itself has now risen up against him. The place he's fled to has betrayed him. And risen up against him. And the sea is so fearsome, so that, that, that hardened sailors have are become in fear for their lives. I wonder if you've ever had an encounter with the ocean like this, where you've realized just how fragile you are in the presence of something powerful. Uh, Jude and I actually had this. I think it was when, um, were you pregnant? Jude doesn't even know what I'm talking about yet. Um, Jude and I had this many years ago. We were down at Barwon Heads and we were on a sandbank sort of in the middle of the the river that's flowing out to the ocean. And uh, there was about maybe 10 metres of water between us and the land. And we just went, oh yeah, we want to go from here to there. We won't go the way we've come. We'll, We'll just swim across. We're in our swimmers and everything. And so we got in. I think Jude was pregnant. Yeah. Um... And we were only trying to swim 10 meters. (laughs) But the current was so strong that it must have taken us 10 to 15 minutes to swim from one to the other. And about halfway through, we just came to understand how scary the, the, the ocean was, how scary the sea was, and how little and small we were in it. Jude's pregnant. I'm trying to keep on a good face. No, we're almost there. We're almost there. Only half an hour to go and we'll be there. It was really, really scary. Have you ever been caught in a rip or something like that? It's scary, scary stuff. The sailors here are at fear for their lives. Real fear. In fact, it's gotten so bad that they are now willing to throw away their economic livelihood into the ocean just to live another day they go into the cargo uh, into the hold and they're they're taking out the cargo the word could even mean that they're ripping off bits of the ship and throwing them into the ocean just to stay afloat just to survive and they start crying out to their gods (laughs) the sailors view of gods is interesting they sort of had three different levels of god you had the national gods, you had the clan gods or the family gods, and you had your, your personal gods. There were the big gods and, and the little gods. And the big gods, they barely ever listened to just a, a sailor or a common guy. You had your own gods, the little gods. So there were some really interesting gods. There's the god of dance. I'm not sure if he was called Michael Flatley or not. Um, there's the god of craftsmanship. There's the god of orchards and fruit. There's all sorts of little gods out there. And the gods in general were capricious. They didn't or couldn't or wouldn't pay attention to everything at once. Sometimes their eyes are closed. Sometimes they just don't give a thought to mankind. Sometimes they don't care or can't be bothered. And so each man calls out to his own god, hoping that they might be paying attention giving a thought to us. It's at the end of verse 6. Perhaps the, God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. After battling this storm for a while, these sailors are in real fear 
and they're doing everything they can. And as they empty out the hold, they come to the bit where Jonah's sleeping. I don't know how he's still sleeping, but he's sleeping. Maybe he's dreaming of being in his, um, in his cubby house as a kid in the wind up in the tree <laughs> or something. But he's in there. They find him. They call the captain down. The captain says to him, what on earth are you doing? Get up. Come with us. Throw your prayer in with our prayers. Maybe one more prayer to one more God might be enough. Maybe your God might be listening. The gods <laughs> don't listen. The storm does not abate. It keeps going. And so the sailors figure out the gods aren't doing anything about it. What can we do about it? So they cast lots. Try and find the source of the problem. God chooses to use a pagan ritual to point his finger right at Jonah. And that's what happens. Uh, lots aren't the most communicative way of getting the details across. They know it's something to do with Jonah, but what? So they ask a lot of questions at Jonah. I imagine, imagine what this must look like. Asking questions of a man after taking lots amidst the storm. Maybe some sailors are still trying to keep the sails up, uh, still kind of trying to keep them pointed into the waves, and they're asking Jonah, what's going on? What do you do? Where are you from? What kind of God are we dealing with? And Jonah's answer is sobering for the sailors because they're not talking about any old God. They're not talking about the God of dance, the God of French bread, the God of left-handed screwdrivers. They're talking, Jonah says, about the God of heaven. This is sort of code for, or he's trying to say, this is the God who is above all other things. He's the God who created not just the land, but the sea that we're on. Jonah's saying, this God is someone. The God over all things. My first point is that God is sovereign. I think this is the the, what the passage is trying to tell us. If we want to define sovereign, um, R.C. Sproul says this, sovereignty is a natural attribute of the creator. So the creator is sovereign. Why? God owns what he makes and he rules what he owns. That's what we're talking about with God's sovereignty. He owns what he makes and he rules what he owns. Uh, God directs every process and orders every event for the fulfilling of his eternal plan. All things are either caused by him or allowed by him for his own purposes and through his perfect will and timing. That's what sovereignty means. Simply put, God is in control. God is in control and he's in control for his own purposes. He is the great God of heaven, Jonah says. The God over all gods, creator of land and sea, he has power over all of them. And this God's eyes are always open to every event of the world. They don't need to gamble that God's hearing them. He's hearing them. He gives a thought to all people and he owns the sea and commands it. And Jonah and the sailors 
are specks floating on a splinter in the middle of the ocean that was measured out in the hollow of the hand of God. That's what's going on. That's who the sailors are. That's who God is. All creation belongs to him. Jonah, the sailors, Nineveh that we're going to come up to, every single one of us in this room are made by God, owned by God, and ruled by God. He has authority over each of us. Whether you acknowledge it or like Jonah, don't, doesn't change the fact he created us, he owns what he makes, and he rules what he owns. You are not in charge of your world. You're not in charge of your world. Yet despite of that, we idolize our sovereignty. Don't know if you've noticed this. We think we're in charge and can do what we want. We think we answer to ourselves, but we don't. We think we can decide the course of our lives and that our call on our lives is the only one that matters. Maybe we think that we get to decide how much of Jesus' call to take up. <laughs> when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, when he says, I bought you with my, your, my blood and you're mine, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself, we think we get to decide how much we need to obey him. How much, if, if you put a percentage on it, how much obedience do you think you've given God? Maybe it's 25%. I'll give God 25% of my life. And you haven't put it down in figures like that, but, but that's basically, you can have this many days and this much of my dreams, this much of my hopes, you get 25%. Maybe you've been generous You've been really generous and said, God, out of my life, out of everything that I own, out of my future, I'm going to give you, wait for it, God, I'm going to give you 50%. Maybe you've been generous. Maybe somehow uh, you've become a monk or something or <laughs> some other type of real... Um, giving over to God, and, and you've somehow given God 90%. You said, 90% sovereignty, God, you have over my life. If you've been so generous to give God 90% of your life, here's what it is. You are rebelling against your sovereign God with 10% of your life. You are a rebel you are treasonous. You are running from Him. He owns all of it. It is His. He made it. He rules it. It's, it's easy to look at Jonah and say, what a fool for disobeying God, isn't it? That's, that's what we do. We laugh as we read Jonah and go, what an idiot. What was he thinking? but we don't see that we do the same. 
isn't the grace of God a beautiful and a necessary thing for us? I, I don't give 90%. I, I, don't, I doubt I give 50%. I don't know if I give 25%. I need the grace and mercy of God in my life. We're in dire need of God's mercy, just like Jonah is as he's thrown into the water of a stormy sea. Are you thankful that our sovereign God doesn't just call us, he comes to us. And he comes to forgive and to save. Shouldn't we be desperately thankful that Jesus didn't give 90%. He gave 100% of his life to God. He said, God, all of it is yours. He lived the perfect life without rebellion. He said to the Father, the night before, hours before he was put on the cross, not my will, but yours be done. What an incredible Savior we had. He bowed his will to his Father's, even at the point of death, and not just death, but about to endure the wrath of God against all our rebellion, against his sovereignty. The only reason God looks, us, looks at us as holy and pure and blameless is because he's looking at Jesus' life. That life of obedience has been given to us. That's what we celebrate here this morning. God is sovereign and Jesus has listened and given us his life. We need to recognize the sovereignty of God, just like he did. That's my first point. God is sovereign. My second point is our sovereign God is worthy of awe. Worthy of awe. Look at the reaction of the sailors to this sovereign God. Uh, Jonah tells them what to do, uh, throw him in the ocean, and they row like crazy out of fear, out of awe, out of respect for their God. They don't want the guilt of Jonah's blood on them. They look at this powerful God and they say, this guy might be telling us what to do. We respect this God enough that we are going to try and row our way out of this. I'm not sure they've got a lot of compassion for Jonah at this point, but they have got a lot of respect for God. And they row and row and row and nothing happens. This storm, I imagine, goes on for several hours. And eventually the sailors throw Jonah in, pleading to God, don't come and avenge us. Surely, God, this is what you're asking for. Nothing else has worked. Don't, Yahweh, they use the name Yahweh, the name that Jonah has given them. Yahweh, don't hold this against us. The sailors throw Jonah in and the storm, storm stops. Have you ever had a time when God makes it clear that he's there and watching? A time when your jaw just drops and you realize the presence of God? Um, the storm stops and the sailors have an OMG moment. moment. And I'm not talking about the, the casual, uh, flippant way in which it's used at the moment in our culture. They say, oh my God. 
maybe not the mind, but they, they're looking at God in this moment where his power has become clear to them. And they are in awe and fear of God. They clearly see the sovereignty of God and they respond with a deep and respectful awe. That's a great way to translate um, this term that we find often in Scripture, the fear of the Lord. It's not talking primarily about a quaking in the boots. It's, it's talking about an attitude where we recognize who God is and who we are before Him. Deep and profound respect and awe for the sovereign God that rules. That's where the sailors have got to. This awe isn't a spur-of-the-moment thing either. It's not a fleeting uh, action that happens here. Um, it says that they made sacrifices and offered vows. But this is kind of like a little coda, a little uh, summary at the end of what happens. Because they've just thrown out all of the cargo out of their ship into the water. It's pretty unlikely that they left a couple of oxen or goats or sheep in order to make a sacrifice. Those would have been the first things to go overboard. It's really unlikely that they would have made sacrifices on a boat or even on the land a few minutes later. They would have gone to a shrine or a high place or maybe even gone to the temple of God to make their sacrifices at some point. And the vows are probably vows that they'll come back again and continue to do the same. They have gained a perspective of God that maybe we are lacking. They have a newfound respect for an, an awe for him. And the question is, do we? Do we have that respect and awe? Maybe we're guilty of trivialising God. We've got so comfortable with the grace and the mercy of God that God has become something less than who he is something smaller than who he is? Do we realize what a privilege it is when we pray to come into the throne room of the almighty God? Yes, we enter as a son or a daughter of the Father and we can bring all of our sin and troubles and pain to him no matter where we're at, but do we know what a privilege it is? Does it ever strike us that we're doing something big? We're coming into the presence of God. Do you ever meditate on God's power and His sovereignty? Do you, ever, do you ever read Scripture where it describes His power and sovereignty and sit there meditating and enjoying Him and praising Him for who He is, asking the Spirit to reveal Him to us? Are you entranced by His descriptions of Himself? A little bit later, we read Isaiah 40. Just a few verses after Isaiah 40, it says that God measures the waters in the hollow of His hands. The nations are but a drop in the bucket to Him. He brings princes to nothing, makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Our politicians, our rulers, our kings who have bloodlines going back centuries, He makes them nothing. They're nothing to Him. Do we take the Father seriously? Do we take Jesus seriously? Do we, do we see him as little more than a wise man? Some type of Gandhi or Buddha figure? Yeah, nice, wonderful. I'm glad we've got figures like that. I'm, I'm glad we've got Jesus. But do you think about him as your king? Sitting at the right hand of the Father with the angels and all the saints 
praising his name for all eternity, coming again on the clouds to judge the earth with righteousness. Maybe you see him as king, but as the future king, not the the now king. One day he'll ask things of you, but probably not much today. He probably doesn't mind so much how I spend my day, what I live for, what my heart desires. He doesn't ask me for my time, my passions or my bank account yet. Maybe the one thing, the one way in which we trivialise Jesus is that we presume too much of his grace. Are we comfortable with our sin? Jude used this phrase this week. Christians are so easily comfortable with their sin and not in any way uncomfortable with their God. Have you, have you been told that maybe your God is a little bit uncomfortable? That he's a little bit bigger than maybe our minds want to know about? Yes, don't get me wrong, God is our approachable Father. Yes, Jesus has paid for our sins and they're as far away from him as the east is from the west. Yes, he sees us as pure and righteous because of Jesus, but this does not mean that we are to trivialize sin in our lives. Are we going to keep sinning as so grace increases? The Apostle Paul asks, no. God is a holy God who hates sin and is to be taken seriously when we run from him and rebel against him. I, I don't want to go overboard <laughs> on, on, the, on just the power and the sovereignty of God. But it's really hard to go overboard on the power and, power and sovereignty of God. We, we do need to keep it in perspective. God, this powerful God, this sovereign God has chosen in his power to save us and rescue us and love us and make us a people. But we can't forget who he is. My point for this, I think this passage's point, is that awe is due our sovereign God. Let us not forget that. We're going to pray now. If I can find my sheet. Lord God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for how you show us through Jonah's rebellious life just who you are, your awe and your power. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Amen.